Hi, everyone. This is Ted O'Connell, author of USMLE Step 2 Secrets. Before we get started with this episode of the podcast, I just want to tell you about a new project I'm developing called MedPrep to Go. The idea here is to create a free online and audio USMLE question bank for both Step 1 and Step 2, with the overall goal of reducing the cost of medical education and giving you time back in your day, just like we're doing with this podcast. It's still early in the process, and we're adding a lot of questions and new episodes of the podcast regularly, but I'd love to have you go check it out at medpreptogo.com. And if you're interested in getting involved in developing questions for this question bank and getting some mentoring directly from me on how to develop questions, I'd love to have you involved. You can email me at ted.medpreptogo at gmail.com or you can go over to medpreptogo.com and sign up through the website. So thanks so much for uh, listening and enjoy the podcast. I'm Ted O'Connell, author of USMLE Step 2 Secrets and Chief Content Officer for Inside the Boards. This is the Step 2 Secrets podcast, where we provide you the high-yield content from Step 2 Secrets in audio format, as well as question breakdowns, so you can study on the go and get back to reclaiming some of your life. Here's our question dissection for today. Welcome. This is the Step 2 Secrets podcast here with Dr. Ted O'Connell, author of Step 2 Secrets. I am Patrick Beeman, host of the Inside the Boards podcast. If you like this content, please check out our other podcasts. Just search Inside the Boards, all one word in your favorite podcatcher. This question is thanks to Elsevier, who generously provided it. Let's get into it. So, Dr. O'Connell, do you want to take this one? I'd be happy to, Patrick. Thank you. So a 57-year-old male with a history of alcohol abuse visits a medical clinic because of numbness and tingling in his feet, as well as hand tremors. The patient seems confused and describes his medical and social history in a wildly improbable and illogical fashion. On examination, the man appears thin and malnourished. His strength and deep tendon reflexes are normal and symmetric. His gait is unsteady and he has reduced vibratory and position sense in his feet bilaterally. Cognitive examination shows the man has profound memory loss. Which of the following combinations of drugs is most likely to treat the patient's neurologic symptoms? A, benztropine and thiamine. B, dextrose and cobalamin. C, imipramine and niacin. D, thiamine and cobalamin. Or E, thiamine, and intravenous normal saline. Patrick, do you want to take us through the the answer to this question? Yep. So the first thing, uh, like we've reiterated on the ITB podcast, is I would say the general advice from those who are experts in this sort of thing is to, number one, have a system in how you approach questions with, it seems to me, the majority of people coming down to focus on the interrogatory first perhaps even reading it first. So we're asked which of the following drugs is most likely to treat the patient's neurologic symptoms. All right, so what are the neurologic symptoms here that we want to identify? We've got paresthesias in the feet. We have hand tremors. We have some mental status changes with a notable phrase here that the patient describes his medical and social history in a wildly improbable and illogical fashion. 
Next, we see normal strength and deep tendon reflexes, but an unsteady gait and reduced vibratory and position sense in his bilaterally. So with his history of alcohol abuse and the associations we always see in the review books, as I approach this question, I am hoping to see something related to Wernicke-Korsakoff syndrome. And since I know that those are due to a deficiency in thiamine, I'm going to go with option D, that he should have thiamine replacement and cobalamin, vitamin B12, because as well he has this uh, polyneuropathy. So he's got the combo nutritional deficiency from longstanding alcohol abuse. That's great, Patrick. You hit that nail on the head. So chronic alcohol abuse has multiple sequelae, including Wernicke-Korsakoff syndrome, which you mentioned. Thiamine deficiency can cause acute psychotic symptoms or thymoplegia, and that's Wernicke encephalopathy, and chronically can cause memory disturbances and confabulation, which we see in this patient, and that's Korsakoff syndrome. Polyneuropathy is seen even more commonly than Wernicke-Korsakoff and classically manifests with paresthesias in the distal extremities and uh, very often the feet. It's, it's most likely due to cobalamin or vitamin B12, as well as thiamine or vitamin B1 deficiency. Yep. Another thing I think that would be important just because it's uh, tangentially related is when you're working up somebody who has really nothing necessarily in this vignette, but uh, it's something that I think is worth harping on, is presentation in a vignette that focuses on somebody who has, say, a macrocytic anemia. That should be kind of a dead ringer for either folic acid deficiency or vitamin B12 deficiency. And it's important to remember that you need to work up both in patients who have, say, a macrocytic anemia because if you treat vitamin B12 deficiency with folic acid, not only is it the wrong treatment, but you could potentially end up masking the the development of subacute combined degeneration of the spinal cord, which is a consequence of vitamin B12 deficiency, not folic acid deficiency. And then one other key point to remember is that if you're treating somebody, an alcoholic in the emergency department and treating them acutely, Remember that you need to give them thiamine before you give them glucose, uh, because otherwise you can precipitate Wernicke encephalopathy. So always give the thiamine before the glucose to avoid that as a complication. Got it. So do you think it's important to be able to distinguish Wernicke's encephalopathy from Korsakoff's dementia specifically, or is that kind of splitting hairs and just to think of them, for the boards at least, a consequence of thiamine deficiency? They both do result from thiamine deficiency, but uh, Wernicke's is an acute encephalopathy and Korsakoff's is a chronic psychosis. So okay. I think knowing the difference for identification purposes in case that question is asked. Yeah, and both are answer choices. All right. Briefly, uh, Wernicke's, remember the classic triad is encephalopathy. So you'll see these mental status changes. An ophthalmoplegia is the second one with nystagmus, a lateral rectus palsy or um, problems with conjugate gaze, and then thirdly, an ataxia. 
And then uh, Korsakov's dementia, like you said, is more of a, a chronic thing, which in my mind, I'd remember that by the consonant Korsakov's and chronic. So with Korsakov's dementia, you have an anterograde and retrograde amnesia and confabulation, which I imagine the question writer was trying to get at by saying that uh, the patient seemed confused and described his medical and social history in a, quote, wildly improbable and illogical fashion. Yes, that's actually a nice description of confabulation. Yeah. All right. Any other good take-home points for this before getting into this section of Step 2 Secrets? I think we've covered that. All right. Then we'll move on with that. This is Chapter 2, Alcohol, from USMLE Step 2 Secrets, 5th edition. Question 1. With which cancers is alcohol intake associated? Cancers of the oral cavity, larynx, pharynx, esophagus, liver, and lung. It also may be associated with gastric, colon, pancreatic, and breast cancer. Question 2. Describe the relationship between alcohol and accidental or intentional death, that is, suicide and murder. Alcohol is involved in roughly 50% of fatal car accidents, 67% of drownings, 67% of homicides, 35% of suicides, and 70-80% to of deaths caused by fire. Question 3. True or false, alcohol can precipitate hypoglycemia. True, but give thiamine first and then glucose in an alcoholic. Question 4. What may happen if you give glucose to an alcoholic without giving thiamine first? You may precipitate Wernicke encephalopathy. Always give thiamine before glucose to avoid this complication. Question 5. What is the difference between Wernicke and Korsakoff syndromes? What causes each? Wernicke syndrome is an acute encephalopathy characterized by ophthalmoplegia, paralysis of extraocular muscles, nystagmus, ataxia, and or confusion. It can be fatal, but is often reversible with thiamine. Korsakoff syndrome is a chronic psychosis characterized by anterograde amnesia, the inability to form new memories, and confabulation, or lying, to cover up the amnesia. Korsakoff syndrome is generally irreversible and is thought to be due to damage to the mammillary bodies and thalamic nuclei. Both conditions result from thiamine deficiency. Question 6. True or false? Alcohol withdrawal can be fatal. True. Alcohol withdrawal needs to be treated on an inpatient basis because it can result in death. The mortality rate is 1 to 5% with delirium tremens. Question 7. How is alcohol withdrawal treated? With benzodiazepines, or in rare cases, barbiturates. The dose is tapered gradually over several days until symptoms have resolved. Question 8. What are the stages of alcohol withdrawal? Acute withdrawal syndrome occurs 12 to 48 hours after the last drink and consists of tremors, sweating, hyperreflexia, and seizures, also called rum fits. Alcoholic hallucinosis occurs 24 to 72 hours after the last drink and consists of auditory and visual hallucinations and illusions with autonomic signs. Delirium tremens occurs 2 to 7 days after the last drink and possibly longer, and it consists of hallucinations and illusions, confusion, poor sleep, and autonomic lability, including sweating, increased pulse, and temperature. 
Vitality is usually associated with this stage. Of course, these stages may overlap. Delirium tremens may occur several days after the last drink. The classic example is a patient who develops delirium on post-operative day two, but was fine before the surgery. He or she could be a closet alcoholic, assuming other causes for delirium have been ruled out. What are the classic physical stigmata of liver disease in alcoholics? Abdominal wall varices, called caput medusae, testicular atrophy, esophageal varices, encephalopathy, internal hemorrhoids, asterixis, jaundice, scleral icterus, ascites, edema, palmar erythema, spider angiomas, gynecomastia, teri nails, which are white nails with a ground glass appearance and no lunula, fetor hepaticus, also called breath of the dead, which is a sweet fecal smell, and deputrin contractures. Question 10. What are the classic laboratory findings of liver disease in alcoholics? Anemia, which is classically macrocytic, a prolonged prothrombin time, hyperbilirubinemia, hypoalbuminemia, and thrombocytopenia. Question 11. What diseases and conditions may be caused by chronic alcohol intake? Gastritis, fatty change in the liver, hepatitis, Mallory Weiss tears, cirrhosis, acute or chronic pancreatitis, peripheral neuropathy, from thiamine deficiency as well as by direct effect, Wernicke or Korsakoff syndrome, cerebellar degeneration resulting in ataxia and past pointing, dilated cardiomyopathy, and rhabdomyolysis, which can be acute or chronic. Question 12. Describe the classic derangement of AST and ALT in alcoholic hepatitis. The ratio of AST to ALT is at least 2 to 1, although both may be elevated. Other causes of hepatitis are usually associated with the opposite ratio or equal elevation of both AST and ALT. Question 13. What is the best treatment for alcoholism? Alcoholics Anonymous or other peer-based support groups have had the best success rates. Disulfiram, an aldehyde dehydrogenase enzyme inhibitor that makes people sick when they drink, can be used in some patients. Be sure to warn patients that metronidazole and certain cephalosporins have a similar effect on those who drink alcohol. Question 14. Describe the effects of alcohol on pregnancy. Alcohol is a teratogen and the most common cause of preventable mental disability in the United States. You should be able to recognize the classic presentation of a child affected by fetal alcohol syndrome, mental disability, smooth philtrum, microcephaly, microphthalmia, short palpebral fissures, midfacial hypoplasia, and cardiac defects. No amount of alcohol consumption can be considered safe during pregnancy. Fetal alcohol syndrome rates vary, but may affect as many as 1 in 1,000 births in the United States. Question 15. Discuss the epidemiology of alcohol abuse. Roughly 10 to 15% of the population abuses alcohol. Alcohol abuse is more common in men. The genetic component is passed most easily from father to son. Question 16. What kind of pneumonia should you suspect in a homeless alcoholic patient? Aspiration pneumonia. 
Look for enteric organisms such as anaerobes, E. coli, streptococci, and staphylococci as the cause. Think of Klebsiella species if the sputum resembles currant jelly or thick mucoid capsules are mentioned in the culture report. Question 17. What are the classic electrolyte and vitamin or mineral abnormalities in alcoholics? Electrolytes look for low magnesium, low potassium, low sodium, and elevated uric acid, which can result in gout. For vitamins, look for deficiencies of folate and thiamine. Remember that alcoholics tend to have poor nutrition and may develop just about any deficiency. Question 18. How are bleeding esophageal varices treated? First, think of the ABCs, airway, breathing, and circulation. Stabilize the patient with intravenous fluids and blood if needed. If indicated, correct clotting factor deficiencies with fresh frozen plasma, fresh blood, and vitamin K. Next, upper endoscopy is performed to determine the cause of the upper gastrointestinal bleed. There are many possibilities in an alcoholic. Once varices are identified on endoscopy, sclerotherapy of the veins is attempted with cauterization, banding, or vasopressin. The mortality rate is high and rebleeding is common. If you must choose, try a transjugular intrahepatic portosystemic shunt, or TIPS, over an open surgical portocaval shunt for more definitive treatment, if needed. The most physiologic shunt type among surgical options is the splenorenal shunt. However, open surgical shunt procedures are now rarely performed. Question 19. How are varices with no history of bleeding treated with non-selective beta blockers such as propranolol, natalol, or timolol to relieve portal hypertension, provided that there is no contraindication to the use of beta blockers? That's the end of this chapter. A big thank you to Elsevier Incorporated, my publishing company behind USMLE Step 2 Secrets, for allowing us to put out this book in audio format. Please check out the other Inside the Boards podcasts over at InsideTheBoards.com, including the main Inside the Boards podcast and the Inside the Boards Study Smarter series for question breakdowns and tips on getting through medical school. And with that, we wrap up today's episode of USMLE Step 2 Secrets. Hi, this is Ted O'Connell. I just wanted to let you know real quick that when the time comes for you to begin studying for the USMLE Step 3, we actually now have a USMLE Step 3 subscription podcast. So I encourage you to check that out over at medpreptogo.com. We have sample episodes available. And even if you're studying for Step 2, you may actually find some of this content uh, really useful for your studies. So please do check it out.